again, I always like doing that, especially the fact that you're back here with us. It, it feels uh, so good to be able to hear uh, you respond with an amen. For three months, it was just crickets, you know. It was just, uh, so it's nice having uh, people with, you know, that are here in the sanctuary. And, you know, and today, you know, again, like I said, we want to honor, you know, all of our, our fathers, our, our grandfathers, uh, uncles, like I said, just men in general that are here that uh, fill such an important role in the lives of whether it's your own children or your neighbors or, you know, uh, adopted, you know, children, whatever it might be, you know, um, co-workers. I mean, just relationships that you can have that you would understand, you know, in a world that uh, is, is more and more uh, trying to really pull down the significance of masculinity. You know, in our world, I could spend weeks on just studies on, on why men are so important and not to say that women aren't, um, but we're, we're seeing this. There is a movement in our country that's demasculating, uh, you know, men. And uh, again, we're talking about the uniqueness of whether it's our ethnicity. Uh, there is a, a a need for men and women in this world, especially when it comes to raising our children. Um, you know, but more and more you're seeing things, you know, that you look at back, I know myself growing up, you know, the television programs that were on TV, you know, they always honored the family and they always honored, you know, the father. I mean, my, one of our favorite shows was Father Knows Best, you know, right? You know, and then you, you've seen, you know, the, the transformation that's taken place and, and really the, the breakdown of the nucleus of the family and really um, almost in an open, blatant attack upon manhood. You know, you see some of the uh, shows and I've never watched them. I've just read, you know, things about them and just how... Um, you know, think about how polarizing, you know, we want to blame things on, you know, lay blame on people. And you go, I would, I would lay blame a lot at the, the feet of Hollywood and the things that are created, whether it's in movies or television programming that are, that are sending a message, you know, that, that again, that whatever group of people that it is, that, that is being devalued. And we're seeing that more and more in America where masculinity and fatherhood is being downplayed. And uh, again, and we're suffering, I, I believe, you know, the repercussions, you know, of that. Uh, when you destroy the family unit, um, you have destroyed, you know, the foundation, uh, you know, of America. And again, biblically speaking, obviously, that was the command of God, that, that fathers would lead their households and they would lead them not just in the things of life, but in the things of God, that uh, we would lead our children to the Lord. I know that, uh, like I said, you you could probably, we could spend a whole service just probably laughing, thinking about, hey, let's go through isms, you know, that your, your father taught you or sayings that, uh, you know, that are now, in, they're embedded in your head because, you know, your dad, you know, shared it with you. I, I remember growing up playing sports and uh, my dad, probably this thing, and I was thinking about this this morning, of all the things I remember about my dad, you know, there's one thing that just, it always plays in my head and I don't even know why. Um, but he, he used to have this saying, he would just, he would tell me all the time. He'd say, Michael, he said, don't let your mouth write a check that your butt can't cash. That's not how he said it, but I just, that's how I'm going to tell it. I'm going to tell it to you that way. But he always used to, to say that, you know, to me. And, 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 and there was nothing even that I'd be thinking at the moment. I go, it doesn't even apply to what's, we're just sitting there talking about something. And, you know, but I've thought of it many times. You know, I, I was having lunch with uh, John this last week, and I, I told him, I said, you know, one of the, the, the things I do if I, if I write, uh, whether it's a text message or it's an email, 
whatever I write to any person, you know, anymore, I might not have done that in my younger days, but I learned it through failure, was that uh, I write everything as if the whole world's going to see it. Because there's a good chance now with, with you know, the internet and with social media and everything else, they're going to. And uh, so that thing plays in my head because so much of what I have to do, I have to correspond, you know, with people. And so it's just, you know, be really, be cautious. And so I have these things that, you know, that play of my dad's voice. And I can still hear his voice. That's the thing I really appreciate. I, I still hear my father's voice, you know, when, uh, when I think of these things. And you probably have things yourself that uh, you can think of as well. Um, I remember um, Mark Twain, who uh, this last week, he became unpopular. I, he was okay until, I don't know what it was that happened, but uh, anyway, I saw something, you know, that all of a sudden Mark Twain was under attack this last week. But so I, forgive me if, I, if I'm quoting somebody out of my own history and life and, and uh, someone who I enjoyed reading growing up, but he said this. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in just seven years. And, uh, and I thought about that because a lot of the conversations that I've had this last week, this, this polarization between the young and the old generation. And I, and I tried to, to share this, you know, with, you know, we've had obviously the issues, issues dealing with racism and systemic racism. And you, you've, you're hearing all the things, you know, Black Lives Matter and, you know, the things that surround, you know, uh, uh, George Floyd's, you know, death and, and murder and, and uh, just this, you're seeing this divisiveness, you know, within uh, the world, you know, today. And, and I, I had to think about this, you know, as I was, I was writing some things about it, you know, and people were, were, were challenging me saying that, you know, what I was writing about, you know, was wrong and da, 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 da. And I, I didn't really worry about trying to really respond or anything, but I was thinking to myself, I was thinking, because I remember being a kid myself and, 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 you know, again, maybe that's where the whole statement came from my dad. I'm having an epiphany as I'm telling you. Maybe that's what he was talking about is don't let your mouth write a check that your butt can't cash, you know, in that regard. Uh, thinking about, you know, how easy it is to just say things without really having any knowledge of it. And, and especially when it came to the civil rights movement, because I know for myself, you know, I was born in 1960, so I, I was alive when the civil rights movement was going on. I, I wasn't learning about it from reading a history book or reading somebody's book that was telling us what took place. So I laugh when people try to tell me what it was like when I was growing up, when I was alive when I was growing up, but they weren't alive when I was growing up. So it's just one of those things you kind of just got to take tongue in cheek and go, well, hopefully, because one of the dangers that we have, and it's why we have to love the word of God. Like, why is the Bible so important to us? And you go, because we have what we see in the world today. And part of the erasing of our history is doing what? It's a, it's a revisionist, right? We have revisionists in, in history. I always allude back to if anybody ever watched the movie, The Ten Commandments, you know, with Moses. Remember when, when finally when Pharaoh, you know, was going to banish, you know, uh, Moses from uh, Egyptian history. He said, let the name of Moses be what? Let it be stricken. And it was revisionist. What they were doing is they wanted to take Moses' name out of anything that had to do with Egyptian history. So if you look at that, when people say, well, there's nothing in history that shows that that, that person, you know, uh, ever lived. And you go, well, um, that doesn't mean that it's not true because of revisionist history. Oftentimes, that's what you did when you, again, went in and you uh, took over a country. You basically did what? You, you took their population and you dispersed them. And you go, why? Because then they would lose their identity. They basically would just be swallowed up in whatever culture conquered them. 
And so we're finding that even in our own country. You know, I, I was sharing this this last week that, uh, you know, if you look at uh, um, any, you know, world history, just go back to any country, you know, no country's pretty much survived after 300 years. At 300 years, something happens. Either they're conquered by another nation or like the Roman Empire, there's an implosion and they rot from the inside out. And you're looking at the United States, we're quickly coming up on 300 years. And I wonder if, you know, and people ask, you know, uh, prophetically, they go, Pastor Mike, you know, where's the United States in prophecy? I don't see it. And I go, I don't either. <laughs> I don't, doesn't mean we're not there. I just don't see it. And I don't know, you know, where we'll be. Are we going to be swallowed up, you know, by another country? Are we going to implode? Um, the good thing is, is, you know, as believers, God, we know this. He hasn't appointed us under wrath. Amen but unto salvation. And so again, we think biblically about all these things, but it's important that we have the word of God. See, the word of God doesn't try, God didn't try to become a revisionist. He didn't say, we're just going to erase that. He wanted us to know our past. He wanted us to, to know and understand warts and all. Amen. Because again, a history that's not learned from will repeat itself because you have no markers. I think most of us in life, the, the common sense approach to this, have you ever driven into a cul-de-sac and it said, not a through street. I don't think most of us were offended by that. You probably appreciated it, right? So you didn't just keep on going or it's a dead end or, you know, there's a bump in the road or anything like that. There's, there's things that caution us about life that we are very much appreciative of, right? And yet there's parts then people want to go, well, but I don't appreciate that. And you know, this is that picking of choosing. You go, then who gets to be judge and who gets to be jury over those things that we hold on to? And those, it's just going to be those people who deem themselves in power at that particular moment. And so it's so important that, you know, we appreciate and we understand, you know, God's word and, and the role that it plays in leading us to the place that God wants us to be. Um, you know, Hebrews chapter 12 uh, verses 9 and 12, speaking, you know, of our fathers, he says, furthermore, it says, we had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect, shall not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live. It says, for they indeed, speaking of our earthly fathers, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but God, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness, you know, and so again, it is about appreciating, you know, our father's influence in our life. And again, sometimes, uh, you know, <laughs> some people look back and they go, man, I got a lot of spankings, you know, from my dad, you know, growing up and you go, yeah. And you go, why? And, and my dad used to tell me all the time. I'd say, well, dad, you know, my dad was a counselor, you know, uh, and I would listen to him talk with his counselees and stuff. And I'd listen to him, how he talked to us. And I go, dad, why can't you treat us like one of your counselees? Why do you treat us like your, your children? He goes, cause I don't love them. He goes, I love you. And I, at first I didn't really understand. I understand it now, you know, and so he was harder on us because he wanted better and he wanted more from us. And that's the same thing true with God. When he disciplines you, it's not because he hates you. It's not because he's trying to hurt you. It's because he loves you. And you read this and ultimately is it, what's it about? Is it that God just wants you to be happy? And you go, no, more than that. He wants you to be holy because holy means complete because you can be happy and be in sin and be broken. And sin is pleasurable for a moment, but the Bible says it, its end brings forth death. But God wants us to be holy because he knows when we become holy, that's when we'll truly become happy and satisfied in him. Amen. 
And so in Acts chapter 7, and I just want to walk you through it. I'm not going to read through it. I'm going to let you. I'm just going to give it to you in the breaks. And it, it's such a wonderful, it was just a great reminder for me in the midst of all the things that were going on in our country right now. And you look at how, you know, history is being attacked, you know, by many people and wanting to, like I said, to undo, you know, a, a very, you know, in a sense, it's a, it's a negative past. I mean, it's, 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 there's terrible things that took place. You know, then we think of the civil war and, and we think of the issue of slavery and all the things that, that came with that. Um, but that's part of who we are as a country. And again, those things, they can break you, but they can also make you and they can make you uh, a better person. You know, again, all of us here, you would, you would want to hope and believe in, in our lives since we've come to Jesus Christ that we could say, you know, I'm not who I once was, amen, but I'm not who I'm going to be one day. That he who has begun this good work in you is faithful to complete it. So we're a work in progress, amen? And so with that, we give ourselves grace, and we should give other people grace as well. And that we should do that as a country. I, I've been, you know, I haven't been on every continent uh, on this planet, but I've been to a lot of them. And I can tell you this, from the bottom of my heart, America is still the best place in the world. And it's where more people in any part of the world, if they could live here in the United States of America, they would choose it day in and day out. And unfortunately, a lot of people who've lived there their whole, their whole life and never ventured outside the walls of, of this country. Again, it's that old expression of you don't realize how good you have it until what? Until you don't have it anymore. And that's really the, the risk that we're running here. And so Stephen actually speaks to this. This is right before he's executed. He's the first Christian martyr, right? And he gives this wonderful testimony because he walks through the history of Israel. He, he walks them right back through it. And he's telling them and he's explaining to them that the reaction of his accusers to the things that he's sharing with them is no different than many of the prophets in the Old Testament who what? Who killed, you know, they, the nation of Israel killed the prophets who were bringing the word of God to them. And they're going to do the exact same thing to Stephen. And he's saying, and he's trying to help them. He's going, you need to learn the lesson from your past. You're no different than, than the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. You're, you're about ready to do the same thing that they did. And surely that's what they did. Ultimately, the end of chapter 7 is they do what? They took up stones and they killed Stephen. And so there's, there's a great history lesson here that we need to learn. Like I said, because history that's not learned from does repeat itself. And so Stephen tells a story, and I, I call this, and might title this even better, The Tale of Four Fathers. Because that's what he's, he's talking about, four fathers. And there's a great example for all fathers, actually for all of us in here today, whether you're male or female. And, and great lessons, four points really that we'll walk through that uh, we should, it actually should be curriculum, I would say, for, for every father in, in teaching, you know, his kids regardless of their age. You know, we teach them, you know, that life is opportunity, that life takes courage, that life can be hard, but we can rise above it. Life's filled with disappointments, especially from people, especially those that we know, especially from people that we love. Life needs grace, Amen. And, and there's so much, like I said, real fathers, you, you'll find out here as we read through this, you know, that uh, they disappoint themselves. It's not just that other people disappoint us. Real, real men disappoint themselves. And real men need and they seek forgiveness. And, and even as a father, uh, seeking forgiveness from our children and, and the things that we've said, and the things that we've done. And not only, you know, 
seeking it, but extending it as well. And we see that as we study through this. These are four dads that are definitely worth remembering. You know, number one is Abraham and the life lesson that Abraham teaches us here. And you can read this just on your own and you'll, you'll see this as it just unfolds. But Abraham's who it begins with. And the life lesson that he teaches us is risk. You know, fathers teach their children about risk that just like all of us are facing right now with regard to the COVID-19, right? There's, a, there's an element of risk in the fact that we're here today in church. My hope and my prayer is that it's worth the risk, amen? There's a, there's, a, there's a cost and there's a benefit, right? There's a risk and there's a benefit to everything. And so again, the key is, is being prayerful about that and praying through it and being discerning and make decisions that are good for you and, and not be shamed or bullied. That's one of the things that we're seeing today, you know, uh, from groups of people, you know, with well-intending that if you don't believe what they believe and if you don't say it the way that they say it, man, you are shamed and you are bullied. And, and, and again, it, it's... You would think that, you know, especially if you were really pushing a cause that you were really concerned about, you know, racism, that you'd be hypersensitive to not trying to, you know, push any group out that you would try to be, it would seem to me, you know, you would want to be inclusive, not exclusive, right? So it's one of these things that I look at this, you know, again, and with, especially with regard to Abraham here, you know, that you cannot, you know, uh, take the easy way. So as dads, you know, we're, we're teaching our children that life is not always taking the easy route. Have you, you, did your parents ever tell you that? You know, that, uh, again, Jesus said it best, right? He said, the way is broad and wide, which leads to destruction, and many will be on that road. But the way of life, he said, is what? He said, it's difficult. Difficult is a way. And he said, and few there be that find it. And Abraham's life is a picture of, of not taking the easy route. His life is a picture of faith and his life is a picture of courage. And these are all things that we teach to our children there in Acts 7, uh, verses 2 through 8. And, I'm, and again, if you're a note taker, just write down 2 through 8 and that'll help you box in the scripture here. I'm, like I said, I'm not going to read it all to you, but it says, uh, Stephen speaking, he says, brethren and fathers, listen. He said, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he, he dwelt in Haran. And, uh, and he said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. And so we see right away, you know, that here's this call for Abraham to step out in faith. You know, no one can really claim to be like, I'm um, go ham, like Abraham. And you go, because everything, the territories of the earth are all, they're all inhabited now. There's no, there's no, you know, uh, land of milk and honey that's still out there in that, that respect. Uh, that's why Abraham is the father of our faith. And we're just children, okay, following, you know, his model in that regard. Um, but you can read through that. And so as he talks about, you know, Abraham here, he's reminding them, you know, that uh, here's Abraham going, you know, God, okay, so where are you telling me to go? And he's telling him to go to a place that he knows not of. And Abraham's going to leave a life pretty much of comfort, you know, behind. He's going to leave his family. He's going to leave everything. And he's going to go. I mean, if you're going to leave your family and you're going to leave your job, if you want to say you're, if you're truly walking like Abraham, you're leaving everything, your wife, your children, you know, in that respect, you know, and because he didn't have any at that point uh, other than his wife. And then take off and go where God's calling you to go and just abandon everything. That's called faith. If we go, we usually take everything with us and we just move from one location to the next. It's really not anywhere close to the same plane or the same level as Abraham. And that's why he, like I said, he's called the father of faith and we are children of Abraham. 
But Abraham, like I said, he left everything to follow this, this, this promise, you know, of a new home and a new future. And again, like I said, he had it pretty good, you know, where he was at, but there was some risk involved there. And so what does he leave? He leaves a legacy of courage for us. And that's, that's what good fathers teach their children that, you know, yes, life has risk involved with it, but to weigh those benefits out and to follow God and to choose to follow God. And, and again, and with that comes what? Opportunity. Uh, again, to step out in faith, but it's going to take courage. And again, it's not just for sons, but daughters as well. Don't take the easy route. You know, there, there, again, there's just a great warning in that because usually the easy way is not the best way. There, there's something in the struggle that, you know, God is always trying to, to teach us. Uh, Hudson Taylor, who's a great missionary, he wrote this. He said, unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. And I think that's really true. David Livingston, he was an explorer who uh, opened up uh, uh, the dark continent and paved a way for missionaries to head into uh, uh, Africa with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, after uh, he was established there, his uh, missions board, they wrote him and they, they wrote this to him saying, some people would like to join you. What's the easiest road to get where you are? And he replied, if they're looking for the easiest road, tell them to stay in England. I want people who will come even if there's no road at all. Yeah, so profound because that's what it takes to, to really do the things that God's called us to do is to be willing in a sense to go where what? Where nobody is willing to go. Yeah, it's one of the, the, the real blessings of, of doing ministry. It's like we have our Recovery 180 ministry. It's probably the most difficult thing that we've undertook as a church. We have a wonderful group of, of people that are part of that group, but if we tell, told you all the, the masses that are out there that we are trying to reach and that we reach out to and we can't uh, it, because they don't want to be reached, that they might be in the, in the complete world of hurt. You know that, you know, if you've ever listened or read anything with regard to Alcoholics Anonymous, the, the first, you know, step that you take with an Alcoholics Anonymous is to stand up and to say what? You know, hi, my name is Mike and I'm, and you go, what is that? And you go, it's to admit that I have a problem. Because if I'm unwilling to truly admit, and I don't mean, and people say that, they might say it like this. Oh, yeah, I have a problem, but we all have problems. That, that's not going to help you. It's when you truly recognize, you go, I have a problem and I need help. And you're willing to humble yourself because the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble there. And so to, to have this courage and to stand up, and again, teaching our children, you know, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, which then, you know, so here's Stephen, he's sharing that Abraham, our father, you know, stepping out, being courageous, being a person of faith, you know, dads of all the things that you could teach your kids, you know, that would be first and foremost on my list is, is model a faith like Abraham, a courageous faith, a, a faith that doesn't take the easy way out. But ask and praise for strength, for courage, uh, which leads us to number two is Joseph. You know, the life lesson that we learn from Joseph's life is what? You know, when life knocks you down, what do you do? You dust yourself off and you get back up and you get going. And that's going to happen a lot in life. And we read that in Acts chapter 7, verses 9 through 16. It says, and the patriarchs becoming envious sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. That's what you need to teach your kids that, you know, life can be really, really hard. How many would agree with that by a show of hands that life can be really, really hard, even for the Christian. I mean, you know, like I've, I've told you many times, people lied to me. Christians lied to me. 
you know, when they shared their faith with me and told me this, Mike, when you become a Christian, life's going to be so much easier. <laughs> no, it got harder. The devil was on my side when I was going with him. When you, when you turn against him, then he turns against you and everybody who's with him. And man, I'll tell you what, life can be really, really hard to the point of you. Have you ever, have you ever considered walking away? Yeah. You ever considered giving up? Yeah, some of us have, and thank God, like the prodigal son, you know, because we knew enough about the goodness and the grace of God, and God was drawing us that what? We came to our senses when we were out there in the middle of the, you know, eating pig slop. And went, man, and being reminded, you know, my father is gracious. My father is good. I'm going to go home. Why? Because he is good all the time. Amen. And uh, so, you know, here's Here's Joseph. He knows that God is with him. And like I said, and you can read through that just for time's sake there. And this is Abraham's great-grandson. And so he, he's talking about, you know, again, Joseph's story here is, is one that, you know, that really reminds us that if, if there's ever, I and mean, I think about this, and I thought about this a lot this past week because of what we're facing in the news today. I mean, you think about it, if there was ever a generation that, you know, you wanted to go, eh, we don't want to remember, you know, this would be the generation, right? I mean, you'd want to like, does anybody have any, like when you look at your family tree, do you have anybody in your family tree that you just wish wasn't in the family tree, you know, and you, you look at it and you go, but you know, we, we can't get that person out of our tree because they're part of our family. And you go, everybody's got one. Matter of fact, you might be that one in yours. I might be that one in mine. I mean, but every family has you might say a black sheep, you know, or in somewhere in their family tree, there's somebody who's not really favorable. And again, you can try to take them out or you just go, that's just part of our life. Because what does it demonstrate? Just like the Bible. So many people struggle with like King David. You think about this. King David was considered a man after God's own heart. And we'll be reading about him. He's the number four name that I'll give you today. But you think about David's life for a second, you know, to sin against, you know, God with, with Bathsheba and then to commit murder. And yet God said that he was a man after his own heart. And you go, why? And you go, because he repented, because he turned to God, because he trusted God. And here people go, well, you know, I can't believe this. I mean that, you know, then Solomon, Solomon, who was the product of a adulterous relationship, and you think, well, no, he got married, you know, after that. And you go, but how did it begin? It was, he committed murder. He committed adultery. And that yet he has a son who sits on the throne, who is of the line of who? Of Jesus himself, David and Jesus. David, who is a type of Christ. And you go, wow. And you go, what does that demonstrate? Does that demonstrate that we are saved by our good works because of what we do? Are we saved because of God's grace? And it's always going to be because of his grace. Amen. And so when there's things in your life or things in your family tree, you can look at that and you go, you know what? Remind yourself of this, just like Joseph, God is with you. God is with you. And if God is with you, who can stand against you? Nobody. And I think that's the thing, you know, Joseph fell victim to jealousy, to treachery. Now, the, probably the worst kind of betrayal that you can fall to. I mean, his brothers sold him into slavery. Then they go back home and tell their dad, what? He's dead, you know, killed by a wild beast. But what do we see in Joseph's life? That God is bigger. Remember, as Joseph you know, eventually will tell his brothers, what you meant for evil, 
God will turn for good. So this is the other side, you could say, of courage. You know, courage would be a lot easier if we knew that everything always worked out in the end, right? But we don't have that, that we have that obviously understanding in, in God, but when will it work out? You know, Psalm 73 says, yeah, it could be in this moment when we come together in the sanctuary, but maybe it won't get worked out until we get to heaven one day. And can we wait that long? Can we be patient, you know, that long? I mean, we would love it, you know, if, if life just went from one mountaintop experience to the next, but it doesn't. That's why we love the Psalm so much. David said, though I walk through the valley of what? The shadow of death. I'll fear no evil because you're with me. Don't lose sight of that. The key to this whole thing today is God is with you. God is with you. And again, I guess the, the old saying, you know, real men don't always win. Sometimes we lose. Sometimes, you know, everything in our life falls apart. God's the only one who can put it back together again. You know, you think about, you know, many of, of you know, our older fathers, you know, my dad, uh, when he was alive, you know, that families that went through the Great Depression, they went through, you know, the front lines of war. I mean, they, they learned firsthand, you know, that being a real man you know, has its, its moments where, you know, th there's accidents, uh, there's hardships, there's disappointments, there's broken dreams. You ever experienced a broken dream in your life? You go, I think we all have. And our kids need to understand that, you know, that life's not perfect. This isn't heaven, okay? And uh, we need to remind ourselves of that. We need to teach that to our kids. Life can be hard. It can be hard a lot. And as you get older, it gets harder and it gets harder in, in certain respects. But see, if we if we don't take the time, you know, to teach that, you know, to our kids, what happens? It's the same thing will happen in our life. You'll become, you know, pessimistic. You'll become a cynic. And you're going to expect the worst. And guess what? And you'll get it much of the time. You ever heard that expression, you know, that people see what they want to see and they hear what they want to hear? Yeah, what you expect from life is ultimately the things, you know, you'll get. For whatever a man sows, that too he shall reap. But we need to be like Joseph in that as a dad today. And I want to encourage you as you're teaching your kids, you talk to them that, yeah, you're going to get knocked down. But when you get knocked down, honey, whether that's your son or your daughter, you go, you get back up. Amen. You brush yourself off. I mean, if you played sports that, you know, we learned that lesson a lot. Uh, I wrestled. And for the first year when I was wrestling, uh, my dad put me in a, in a program where I was in the fifth grade. And I was uh, in a junior high wrestling program. So I was in the fifth grade and I was wrestling seventh and eighth graders. And I just want you to know it wasn't pretty. Okay. Uh, I was able to read uh, what kind of light bulbs actually were in the ceiling. I, I was down there so much on my back. I, I, I knew what a GE light bulb looked like, you know, and I knew what a Phillips, and I'm telling you, I'm not kidding you. I knew the difference, what a GE light bulb looked like and a Phillips. And they don't look the same. You can see some that are white and some that are yellow. And I'd be in a gym and, I mean, and I'd get up every time and I'd just be crying. I was like, dad, I don't, I don't want to do this. And it wasn't my dad that, you know, that offered the real encouragement. It was other wrestling coaches. You know, they'd console me. And I had one, he was a wrestling coach at, at West High. Uh, his name was Ray Jewell. And he had this really raspy voice. 
and he would, he would always give me a hug when I was in the fifth grade, and he'd pull me in real close, and, and he had th this voice, and he'd say, Michael, Michael, listen to me. Listen to me, Michael. He goes, when you get to the seventh grade, he goes, you're going to do the same thing to these kids that they're doing to you today. Now, I don't know if that should be positive or not, but I definitely look forward to it. Let me just, <laughs> let me just put it that way. I did not like being on, on my, my back there, you know, but to it'd be able to encourage people, you know, and tell them, you know, that, yeah, life, life is going to be hard, but brush yourself off, get back up, get back in the game. And, and again, and to, and which he didn't tell me, but I, I'll tell you today and to recognize this, you know, as Abraham did, as Joseph did, God is with you. You cannot lose sight of that. I can do, you can do what? I can do all things, what? I can do all things through what? Through Christ who strengthens me. Say that out loud. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we need to remember that because again, life is hard. You know, when, when life, what, throws you lemons? What is the old expression? Make lemonade, right? When, when the world throws rocks at you, turn those rocks into what? Into, into stepping stones. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of positive things that you can do. Joseph is a great reminder of that. And we need to, we need to see that. We need to hear that. You know, fathers, we can teach that to our kids. We can, we can teach them, you know, that they don't just need, you know, courage, but they need to recognize that life is hard. And when it's hard, they can rise above it. Proverbs 24, 16 puts it like this. For a righteous man may fall seven times and what? And rise again. Rise again. Get back up. Get back in the game. Number three, Moses. That's our, our life lesson number three. People will disappoint you. Is that true? People will disappoint you. So what do we need to do? Like Moses... We need to learn to live our lives in, with grace. We need to live with strength and gentleness. You know, uh, Jesus and Moses were the only two people in the Bible that were considered or called meek. That word meek means this, power under constraint. Power under constraint. Moses and Jesus were meek. God desires that you and I be meek. So you can be strong and you can be gentle at the same time. One of the best pictures I've ever seen of that, the guy had it in his office. It was, it was an oil-filled worker. And there was, you could see it in the background faintly. There was, a, there was a rig behind him. And his hands were greasy. But his hands were just, I mean, they were just defined. You could see the veins. And he was, you could tell, he was very strong. And that's what it was picturing was strength. But in the palm of his hands was a newborn infant. And, and, it, and it just said meekness. And it had... It had this verse that there was tremendous strength, but there was gentleness there. And that's what God desires. I mean, we, and this, this is the, the part of, you know, where we talk about demasculating, you know, our men today is that, no, we need to be strong and never cease to be strong. But the fruit of God's spirit is also that we'd be what? That we'd be gentle as well. That's one of the, the demarcations of what it is, is to be a man or a woman of God, someone who's, who's experiencing and living and walking in the fruit of God's spirit. You're not seeing that in the world today. I can tell you that. There's a contrast that's going on there. You know, there's a big difference between a peaceable protest, which is our right to do as Americans, but there's a big difference between that and rioting. Would you agree? You know, and looting and stealing and destroying and all those things. And that's really the difference between, you know, Jesus' method and the world's method. You know, people go, so they're both effective. And you go, uh, only in the short term, not in the long term. In the long term, there's only one that works. 
That's God's, God's method. And he's coming back, and he'll have a thousand-year period of what? War? No, we call it the millennial kingdom. will be the time of what? Peace. There'll be peace on earth, yeah. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so in, in Moses, you know, you can look at that in Acts chapter 7, verses 17 through 45. It says, And when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people of Egypt grew, and they multiplied in Egypt uh, until another king arose who did not know Joseph. And this man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so they may, might not live. At this time, Moses was born. At the perfect time in life, Moses was born. Guess what? At the perfect time in life, you were born into this world. You know, as a father, you know, as a parent, as a mother, you know, we're alive. Understand this, you know, yes, people will disappoint us, but we need to live our lives, you know, with grace. We need to live our lives, you know, with gentleness and, and model that before our children and model that before the world in which we live. Like I said, there, it's okay, you know, uh, we can have righteousness and we can, we can demonstrate, you know, there is a thing that's called righteous indignation. You can be angry, and, but the Bible says be angry, but don't what? Don't sin. Yeah. It's to allow God to channel that anger. And so Moses, again, or Stephen, you know, he, he brings up Moses here. You know, so we have Abraham, Joseph, and now we have Moses. Most of us, like I said, remember Moses from Charlton Heston, you know, uh, parting the Red Sea there in the Ten Commandments. But that's only, like I said, part of the story here. And, you know, again, Moses, I, I, I love looking at his life this way. You know, for the first 40 years of Moses' life, he thought he was a somebody, uh, only to spend the next 40 years of his life on the backside of a desert learning that he was a nobody to ultimately come, because he lives to be 120 years, the last 40 uh, years of his life that God can take uh, a nobody and make him a somebody. And, and it's really the, the great blessing, you know, that's in our lives of walking, you know, with the Lord. But uh, Moses had all kinds of obstacles and challenges that, you know, he faced. But probably the biggest one, you know, it wasn't the, the mountains and it wasn't even the desert. Uh, the most, you know, probably the biggest problem that he faced, you know, uh, were <laughs> the children of Israel. It was, it was his own people. Uh, the stiff-necked, never-satisfied nation of complainers. <laughs> And again, you remember when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and he comes off of Mount Sinai and Aaron's down there and the children of Israel, what are they doing while Moses is gone? You know, Aaron's fashioning, you know, all their jewelry and everything into a golden calf, right? And then he's trying to explain to Moses, you know, I just fell into the fire and this came out. You know, it's like he's not even willing to, you know, uh, stand up for even that. He's just, he, he's just giving into the whims and to the will of the people. And yet Moses, you know, when God was going to destroy him, Moses, you know, he says, these people, they've committed a great sin. He says, but spare them. If you can't spare them, don't spare me as well. You know, they had a heart for the very people that he was leading. And, and again, uh, and this happened, you know, obviously more than once. And you go, why, why did he stick with them? And you go, because he was meek. It was, he was, it was power under constraint here. He was full of grace in his life. Did he, did he get angry with the people? Absolutely. You know, his dads, yeah, we need to get angry and our children need to see us get angry, but they need to see the gentleness that comes from that, that, that yes, we, we stand up for injustice and the things that go on, you know, in the world today, but they see, you know, a, a meekness, they see a gentleness. You know, what our kids need to see more than anything is a dad that's trying. A dad that's just giving it 
you know, is best. They, they need to see our strong side. But like I said, they need to see our gentle side as well. They need to see that, yes, we get angry. Do you ever get angry about anything? The, the things that you see? And then, and then, but you get angry, but you get over it. You know, see, life will have a, it'll either make you bitter, or it's going to make you better. I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to here. See, we, we need to be fathers who, who not only, you know, seek forgiveness, but fathers who also forgive. And that's what Moses was doing, not only for himself, but also for the people that he loved. Jesus from the cross, I mean, he said it best. As he hung there on the cross, he said, Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. We need to pray for our country today. We need to pray for this younger generation that's coming up in many ways to say, you know, Father, forgive them. And we thank God for their zeal. Thank God for their passion. But misguided zeal and misguided passion is still sin. And to pray, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They think they're right, but, you know, we can all think back to them. We thought we were right too. Thank God for amazing grace. Amen. Thank God for his forgiveness in our lives. I put in my notes here, you know, sons, you know, learn from their fathers what a grace-filled gentleman looks like. You know, it's not a pretty picture when you grow up without a father. We're, we're seeing that in the world today, you know, for many kids that, that didn't have a picture of what it's like to be gentle and what it's like to exercise self-control. Uh, it was syndicated columnist William Raspberry. He illustrates this truth what happens to young people when they grow up without a male role model? He tells a story some years ago that in South Africa, the, they had their, their game managers had figured out uh, what to do with these elephant, this herd at the Kruger National Park. The herd was growing well beyond its ability of the park to sustain it. And so they decided to transport some of the young elephants to a nearby uh, game park. A dozen years later, however, it says several of the young male elephants, they were now teenagers, uh, that had been moved, uh, began to attack the herd of the endangered white rhinos that were there in the park. They used their trunks to throw sticks at the rhinos. They chased them over long hours and great distances, and then they stomped them to death. And they did this to a tenth of the herd. And it was all for no discernible reason at all. So the park authorities tried everything, and though nothing worked, so they reluctantly decided they didn't have any choice but then to start killing them. So they killed off uh, some of the worst juvenile delinquents here, these offenders, of these elephants. And when they'd killed five of them, someone came up with the idea, uh, and they, they decided to bring in some mature male elephants that were still residing in, in uh, Kruger Park and hoped that these kind of bigger and stronger males could bring these adolescents under control. And obviously, to the delight of the park officials, the big bulls quickly established this neutral hierarchy and uh, they reduce the behavior, or the violent behavior of the younger bulls. And you go, it works even in the animal kingdom. You know, having a male role model uh, dispelling this deep-rooted anger that can exist in the heart uh, of a child that doesn't have a male role model. And so, uh, again, he says, you know, columnist William Raspberry cites the story and draws a comparison. The new discipline, it turned out, was not just a matter of size and intimidation. The young bulls actually started following the big daddies around, yielding to their authority and learning from them the proper elephant conduct. Uh, you know, and you think about that. They, they young bulls, you know, the young, they needed community. You know, they needed leadership. They, they, they needed someone to teach them, in the sense, how to be a real man. 
You know, our children today, they, you know, young boys, you know, need a man to teach them to how to be a man. And that's where, you know, as men, we need to step up. And so, you know, we think about, you know, fathers like Abraham, they teach us courage. Men like Joseph, perseverance, how to face hardship. Moses demonstrates grace and gentleness, even when people disappoint us. And then Stephen shares this fourth father, David. And it's really simple. And it's probably a, when you think about, you know, Father's Day, like I said, the very first Father's Day message I did, I'll never forget it. I was trying to research and I was looking up everything and I looked up, you know, fathers and what the, what the dictionary, Webster's dictionary definition of it was. And then as I, I looked at it, I, I noticed that fathers came between two other words that really kind of defined Father's Day for me. One was fathead and the other was fatigue. And fathers falls right between fathead and fatigue. And I was thinking, that fits. And I, you know, most of the dads I, I talk to, they go, yeah, most of the time I feel like a fathead. And the other time I'm just wore out. I'm just tired, you know, of it. I go, yeah, I, I can relate to that. And yet David, when I think about David's life in Acts chapter 7, verses 46 through 50, you know, it says, David, who found favor before God, asked to find a dwelling for God of Jacob, but Solomon built him a house. And you go, why? And you go, remember, because David was a man who had shed blood. He was a man, he was a man of war. And so God, the father wanted, you know, a man of peace. And so David's son would ultimately build uh, the, the temple of God. But what we learn from David's life, as I shared earlier, the life lesson, life lesson number four, and it's what I'll close with here. You know, real men disappoint themselves. You ever disappointed yourself as a man? You don't have to raise your hand to that because we all have men and women both. You know, there, there's an old saying that we don't even live up to our own consciousness which is true, which demonstrates that our consciousness doesn't come from ourselves. Our conscience comes from God. That's a gift from God. And it's what the Holy Spirit brings that conviction. But real men disappoint themselves. And so when that happens in our life, as it did with David, and again, not only are other people going to disappoint us, but like I said, we're going to disappoint ourselves. We are going to fail. You're going to fail as a father. You're going to fail as a mother. We're not going to always do things right. And so what do we need to do to get things right? And remember this, you know, David was considered a man after God's own heart. Was David perfect? Let me ask you that. Was David perfect? No, David wasn't perfect. But God's grace is perfect. And God offered him that grace. And David took it. Psalm 51 is a beautiful psalm that I would encourage you to become familiar with. David walked in and received the forgiveness of God. And maybe as a, a dad today, you know, maybe you're here, you're watching at home and you go, man, uh, I have just totally blown it as a father. And again, that's part of your history. That's part of your past. But it's not part of who you are today. It's not part of your tomorrow. You know, we have an opportunity to get things right. You know, we can seek forgiveness and we can grant forgiveness. David did and he received it. He said, restore unto me, Father, restore unto me the joy of, my, of thy salvation. He said, take not, you know, your spirit from me, you know, and cast me not from your presence. He enjoyed coming back home into that sweet relationship with God and God restored him. And maybe you're at that place today and you go, I messed up, I've blown it. I just want you to know that, you know, there is no sin. You, you haven't sinned so much that God cannot forgive you. You know, the Bible says his... His hand, his arm is not short that he cannot save and his ear is not deaf that he can't hear you today. 
You first need to cry out to him and just say, God, forgive me. And he will forgive you. And then maybe you need to go to your kids today. And maybe you know, they don't have, want to have anything to do with you. And you go, God knows your heart. And the forgiveness is there. But that's where it, sometimes it takes courage. And it takes faith. And it takes loving people who, guess what? Don't love you in return like Moses dealt with. But you go, but they're my people. And you love them anyway. And it's amazing, you know, of all the things, you know, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? It's love. To walk in that and to experience the fullness and my hope and prayer is that you'd know that today as well. You know, greatness, again, in my notes area, doesn't demand perfection, but it oftentimes requires repentance and confession and a do-over. Aren't you glad today, church, that we serve the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth? Can you even think in some areas of your life? I've lost count, have you? Yeah. And that's not, that doesn't make people go, well, that just, you know, makes it cheap grace. No, grace can never be cheap because Jesus paid for that grace with his blood on Calvary's cross. And there's nothing cheap ever about grace. Amen. We are saved by it. We are kept by it. And uh, may that grace allow you just to enjoy the fullness of, of everything that God would have for you today. Let's stand to our feet and we'll close in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your gift in our life of your love. We thank you for being the perfect father, the perfect model, that, Lord, when we follow you and, Lord, we seek to emulate you in our life, that, uh, Lord, we, we impact, you know, people's lives. And yet, Lord, even when we walk perfectly with you, there are going to be people that, <laughs> that don't appreciate us just like they didn't appreciate you, that you loved perfectly, you, you lived without sin, and yet you were still crucified. You still had enemies. And so, Lord, uh, help every father here to know as, as hard as we try, Lord, we will fail at reaching every single person. But, Lord, give us a heart for our children, for our family, for our friends. Uh, Lord, give us a, a heart even for our enemies that we might reflect you and represent you in this world. We pray that, that Lord, we know that it's such a difficult thing, uh, Lord, of being a father today. It's under attack because, Lord, you're under attack. And so, Lord, we pray that you would gird up and you'd strengthen fathers, that, Lord, we could honor them today and they would recognize how needed they are and how much uh, appreciation we have for their lives and how loved, Lord, they are. And we thank you for them. And so bless their day, uh, Lord. Help us to, to honor them and to pray for them, to remember them today. And, uh, Lord, again, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for each person here. I pray that, Lord, you would bless this day, Lord, this day that you've made. Lord, we are rejoicing and we're glad in it. And we thank you for being our Abba, our Heavenly Father. And we just affirm our love to you, Lord, as we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. And again, we all said, amen, amen, amen. Well, be blessed as you go. Dads, just know, stop by that table, fill out one of those uh, uh, raffle tickets there. There's root beer floats. Probably everybody can get a root beer float that one.